Welcome to My Heart Songs Podcast number 170. If love is the answer, what is the question? I recently attended two memorials one weekend apart for good men who died suddenly, much too young in their 60s. Both lawyers, as it happens, which reminds me of that silly joke about 99% of lawyers giving the other 1% a bad name. Both of these fine humans were in that supposed 1% who cared and made a difference because of who they were and how they explored and refined the legal realm for the benefit of others. Tales were told at both gatherings, of course, about how each of them impacted their profession and how that was grounded in their intelligence and kindness. Hundreds of folks showed up for these celebrations, a testimony not only to the difference they each made by lighting up their little corner of the world, but also to the character of who they were and how they lived their lives. My favorite parts were actually the stories about their non-work passions, where their love for being alive resonated in mountain biking, paddleboarding, and martial arts for one, skiing, soccer, fly fishing, and softball pursuits for the other. Fixing the world is an idealistic handyman's dream, but we each have our own part to play in making our home, neighborhood, the communities in which we participate better for our presence. And yes, sometimes that has ripples into the global consciousness as well. Often it's easy to get burned out, flamed out for some, tainted, trapped in temper and tension, tangled in one's own outrage at the persistent beast of social injustice. The dedicated ones take that as part of the territory and carry on. We know that the traits of being agreeable, compassionate, empathic, and conflict-averse tend to cluster in an individual, almost as if they were nurtured by each other in a positive spiral of what an evolved human might embody. William Blake eloquently states, We are put on earth for a little space, that we might learn to bear the beams of love. We each have our own unique personal touchstones of universal tragedy. I remember exactly where I was when JFK was shot, same for the Twin Towers going down, as well as the last trip before COVID stopped my retirement travel wanderings in their tracks. When faced with these earthquake events in our lives, including the highly intimate ones of the sudden death of close friends or family, We find strength within ourselves as the what's it all about Alfie questions loom large and the normal world seems to press pause. For me, such personal tragedies stimulate a deep and clearer sense of what really matters, well beyond consumer or achievement desires. Hugging those I love and freely expressing my affection. Not taking partners, friends, and family for granted being kind to everyone I encounter, including the obnoxious telemarketer or scam artist calling on what looks like a local number, and the burned-out service person whose id-guess, I-don't-give-a-shit attitude would normally rile me. I put into hibernation my overactive disapproval gland where the inner critic and outer judge with a capital J hold their feast days. Father Gregory Boyle puts it this way, quote, Here is what we seek a compassion that can stand in awe at what the poor have to carry rather than stand in judgment at how they carry it, close quote. Dotted along the northeastern coast of Japan are hundreds of tsunami stones serving as both warnings and reminders of the all-too-frequent tidal waves that continue to cause devastation from time to time.
The oldest were erected more than 600 years ago, and they range in height from 2 to 10 feet, often marking the spot of the tsunami's highest reach. A huge wave in 1896 killed 22,000 people. In 2011, the Great Sendai quake and subsequent wave confirmed 18,500 as dead or missing. It takes a mere three generations to forget, goes the common wisdom. So these markers serve as remarkable loving counsel to those who are yet to be born. One stone in Miyage Prefecture reads, Always be prepared for unexpected tsunamis. Choose life over your possessions and valuables. And of course, they all offer the warning of do not build closer to the coast than this spot. Tolstoy counseled that love is a present activity only, a close cousin to my own perception that love is an action verb beyond embracing the no matter whatness of love. He also muses, to what extent can I occupy myself with my own affairs and yet be able to serve those I love, thus striking at the heart of boundaries and balancing self-love with caring for others. Dr. Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages is a worthwhile read if you're not familiar with the notion that each of us has preferences in terms of how we feel loved. Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch are the ones he outlined. Looking deeply at our beloved, listening intently, and sharing luscious laughter might also be added to that list for me. Connection, Harmony, and Joy manifestations of intimate love require precious time, energy, and presence. Busy is another word for constantly being engaged with what I don't have rather than appreciating what I do. Love is never nurtured by rushing, multitasking, or impatience. One useful belief frame is that God is the person who's right in front of me. Please forgive me. I'd mistaken you for an interruption. Thich Nhat Hanh captures it this way, quote, When you love someone, the best thing you can offer that person is your presence. How can you love if you're not there? Come back to yourself. Look into their eyes and say, Darling, you know something? I'm here for you. You're offering them your presence. You're not preoccupied with the past or the future. You're there for your beloved. You must say this with your body and your mind at the same time, and then you will see the transformation. Close quote. So much still to learn about love for me, and the sudden death of friends inspires me to get on with the lessons. Thanks as always for listening, and remember, friends and family can easily sign up. Please encourage them to do so at myheartsongs.org.